Let's read tonight, 2 Kings chapter 2, and I want to read verse number 14, all right? 2 Kings chapter 2, verse number 14, and let me just read a few verses here, and we'll jump into this text, and I'm so glad you're here. Look at verse 14, and he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and smote the waters, and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? When he had also smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither. And Elijah went over. And the sons of the prophets, which were, uh, which were to view at Jericho, saw him. And they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And they said unto him, Behold, now there be with thy servants fifty strong men. Let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master. Lest peradventure the Spirit of the Lord had taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, Elijah said unto them, Ye shall not send. And uh, when they had urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent therefore fifty men, and they sought three days, but found him not. And when they came again to him, for he tarried at Jericho, speaking of Elijah, he said unto them, Did I not say unto you, Go not? Now that's all I'm going to read right there tonight. But verse 14 is going to be our text verse. And I'll get into this tonight. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for the good singing tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the sweet fellowship of God's people. Thank you for those that have assembled together on a Sunday night because they feel like Sunday is the Lord's day. And not just Sunday morning, but the whole day is the Lord's day. Thank you for people that are here. Please now bless us for just a few minutes. God, touch me, help me mentally and physically and spiritually, God. Just help me tonight. Right now, I just want to pray that you'll blot out everything from my mind that doesn't need to be said in this service. I don't want to say anything that you don't want me to say. But then right now in my mind, would you touch me and help me to say everything I ought to say, everything that would be pleasing and honoring to you. And then I pray and leave the results of what is said up to you and just ask you to open our hearts to receive the Word of God tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reading the story this week of a Sunday school teacher who had a Sunday school class consisting of eight-year-old boys. And one Sunday morning, he got up before his class and he asked his class this question. Does anybody in here know where God lives? Well, one of the members of his class raised his hand and he said, yes, yes, sir. He said, God lives in heaven. Well, the teacher said, that's right. That's a good answer. God does live in heaven. Anybody else have an answer? Another little boy raised his hand and said, yes, sir. Said, God lives in my heart. And the teacher said, that's exactly right. If you're saved, God lives in your heart. Does anybody else in here have an answer? And one little boy raised his hand and said, yes, sir, teacher, God lives in our bathroom. The teacher said in the bathroom, he said, explain that. How does God live in your bathroom? He said, well, all I know is every Sunday morning, Daddy stands in there knocking on the door of our bathroom saying, good Lord, are you still in there? You know, there's not a one of us that hasn't from time to time asked the question, where is God at? You know, we maybe, not, maybe we haven't asked that question audibly, but I'm sure there's not a person in this room tonight in some time of a trouble or some time of a great struggle in your life that you haven't asked, at least privately, where is God? Well, in our text tonight, we find Elisha 
asking that question. Verse 14, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Now, I'm beginning tonight a brand new series of sermons that I'm going to preach on Sunday nights, and I'm calling it The Questions of Elisha. The questions, some of the great questions that Elisha asked during his time of ministry in the book of 2 Kings. And the very first question that he asked is this question, where is the Lord God of Elisha? Now let me stop for just a moment just to clear up something before we even go any further. Sometimes if we're not careful, we confuse Elisha with Elijah. And, and many times that's true because their names are, are so similar. They sound so much alike. The name Elijah and the, lie, and the name Elisha. Well, the name Elijah simply means this. It means the Lord, Jehovah, is my God. That's what the name Elijah means. Jehovah, Jesus, is my God. The name Elisha simply means this. God is my salvation. Boy, aren't you glad tonight that we find salvation? God deals with humanity with a great gift of salvation. And the name Elisha means God is my salvation. But really, these two men lived two totally different lives. They were two totally different people, and yet, really, their lives kind of intersected with each other because Elijah actually poured water on the hands of Elijah. Now, that simply meant that Elisha was really the servant of Elijah. And after Elijah passed off the scene, was taken into heaven, Elisha became the great prophet, the great voice of God to a very backslidden people in the nation of Israel. Well, in our text tonight, we find that Elijah has been taken from off the earth by God into heaven. According to verse number 11, the Bible tells us that they're walking together, Elijah and Elijah, and they're walking together when all of a sudden, the Bible said there in verse number 11, there appeared a chariot of fire. It was being drawn by a bunch of horses of fire, and this thing swoops down out of heaven. It splits these two men apart, and then one of these men, Elijah, the prophet of God, the older prophet of God, is carried up into heaven by a whirlwind. And then Elisha picks up the mantle that fell off of Elijah, and he picks it up, and he smites the waters. I mean, he just hits the waters of the Jordan River, and he says this, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Now, I want to call you and tell you tonight, that is a great question. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? I'm calling this first question of Elijah, Elijah, I'm calling it the question about the Father. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Now, let me stop and say, notice the question is not this, where is Elijah? That's not the question that's asked. In fact, just a little bit later in this chapter, and I read to you down verse 15 and following, that there seemed to be a controversy about where Elijah was after God took Elijah from off the earth and into heaven. By the way, aren't you glad God's going to take us off this earth some of these days? Yeah, man. Yes, sir, the Lord's going to come back from heaven. Gravity is going to lose its hold upon us. And we as a God people, man, we're going to leave out of here just like Elijah left out of here. That's right. And yet in our text, they, they were, the question was not asked, where is Elijah? In fact, a little bit later, the Bible said there in verse number uh, 15, the Bible said these sons of the prophets came to meet Elijah. And they said, hey, listen, we'd like to send some men out to find where Elijah went. Maybe, you know, maybe God cast him on top of some mountain over yonder somewhere. 
Or maybe God took him down and threw him in a valley somewhere. We just want to send a search party out and see if we can find him. And, of course, the answer comes back from Elisha, the man of God, who saw what happened. He said, ain't no use in going. He's gone. And they urged him. You know, they probably started saying something like this to shame the man of God. You just don't want him to be found because you want to be the chief prophet around here from here on out. You don't want that, that uh, old-fashioned man of God to be found. You don't want us to send out a search party and find and said, Elijah said, well, if y'all going to insist, just go ahead and go. And the Bible said, if you look there at verse 16, that they sent out 50 strong men. I like that, strong men. They were not spiritual men. Amen. If they'd have been spiritual men, no doubt they would have listened to the counsel of the man of God. They were just strong men, and he sent out these, and they sent out these 50 strong men. The Bible said they searched the end of verse 17 for three days, but they found him not, and then they came back and said, we didn't find him. And Elijah said, I told you you weren't going to find him anyway. You know, one of these days we're not going to be found. You know, one of these days, evidently, there's going to be a search made for God's people. And the Bible said when old Enoch was translated into heaven, the Bible said they looked for him, they searched for him, but he was not found. There's going to come a day, friend, when they're going to start looking for you and looking for me, but we're not going to be found because Jesus is coming and we're leaving out of here when he comes. The question is not where is Elijah. Now, the one thing that I get from this, the question is where is the Lord God of Elijah? Now, the truth, and I want you to look at me and get what I'm about to say. The truth is God's men may depart. The truth is God's men may die. The truth is God's men may pass off the scene, but God remains the same. Can I have an amen? I mean, one of these days, Brother Tim is going to depart. One of these days, you're going to probably read, Brother Tim has now died. But let me just tell you something, man. God's men may get out of here. God's men may depart. God's men may die. But the truth of the matter is God is still going to be God. And God is still going to be here. You know, it's sad when God's men begin to depart. I think about some of the preachers of yesteryears. And you know, many times I wish, I'm like you, I wish I could go back and talk to them again. You know, I wish one more time that maybe I could talk to brothers. I wish I could go down here to Arbor Ridge where they spent those last years or so uh, of their lives. I wish I could go in there and talk to Brother Zeno and, and just, um, uh, you know, have him to pray for me and just, you know, talk to him a little bit. I love for him to tell me them stories of how things was and, and what happened then. And I mean, he had a way of doing that. I, I love for him to tell me about some of the funerals that he had and how that, you know, people, you know, they used to keep people in their homes back in the day. They, they didn't go to the funeral home and they kept people in their homes. And he said down here, you know where Wendy's is down on Akron Drive? He said there was a family down there and they had their loved one in a house one night. And sometime during that night, that rigor mortis began to sit in on that loved one. And as he was laying stretched out there, his body began to contract and he started sitting up. And he said there had been a bunch of those people around there had been drinking. He said they started diving out windows. I mean drunk as skunks. They were diving out windows trying to get away from her because they thought that old boy was coming back to life again. I miss things like that. I wish I could go down to Arbor Ridge and talk to him again and just pick his brain a little bit and spend some time with him. I wish I could go over here to Crest Long Trail over here and talk to Brother J.T. Lyons again. You know, talking to Brother J.T. Lyons, and I don't mean this in a, in a, in a bad way, but it's kind of like talking to a crystal ball. 
You know what I mean? I mean, you could ask him questions. Hey, Brother JT, what do you think about this? And he'd say, the master said, go ahead and do it. It's going to be all right. You remember that? Or maybe... I'd ask him questions sometimes. You know, back in those days, I was coaching ball, and I'd ask him before the game, are we going to win or are we not going to win? And you know something? Every time he said we was going to win, we won. And every time he said we was going to lose, we lost. It's like talking to a crystal ball. I don't believe in lottery tickets, but if I was going to buy one, I'd probably go ask him what the numbers are before I buy one. And I'm kidding about that. But I'd love to go just talk to him and try to get some wisdom about some situations and get him to pray. Boy, he had a way. He prayed a hole in the sky. He could get a hold of the master and talk to the master. I missed those days of being able to talk to him and counsel with him. I asked him before he died. He'd come by the office over here one day, and he was kind of diminishing and, you know, getting weaker, and his heart was getting weaker. But he came by the office over here one day, and I shut the door while he was in there, and I said, Brother JT, I said, would you lay your hands on me and pray that God would give me a little bit of what you got? Now, don't ask, don't ask me about wisdom. Don't ask me about stuff because I'll probably give you the wrong answer. But that old man of God laid his hands on me and asked God to give, him, give me some of what he had. Boy, I miss those days. I, I miss those days. Brother William Hutchins back there over there on Grapevine over there in Louisville. I'd go over and see Brother William and talk to him. You know, Brother William had an had a, had a insight into things, and he had great wisdom. And, and, I, and I wish I could go back and talk to him again and to just seek some wisdom and some counsel. But as bad as my, I may want to do that, can I tell you something? Brother Zeno's gone. Brother J.T. Lyons is gone. Brother Mays Jackson and Brother, uh, Brother Billy Kelly and those men of God, Brother Howes and some of those great men, they're gone. But can I give you some good news tonight? God remains the same. God is still here. Buddy, we can move forward with the same presence and the same power of God because God is still here. Elijah quickly learned that the man of God may have departed. He may have went to heaven. He may have been gone, but God is still very much a present God in this day in which you and I are living in. In fact, can I tell you what the Bible said about him? The Bible said about God, he's a present help in our trouble. The man of God may depart. The man of God may die. He may not be here anymore, but I just want to encourage you by telling you this. God will still be here, and he remains the same. He'll never change, and he's a present help in our time of trouble. The point that Elijah finds out here in this text is, man, God's man is gone, but God is still here. So I want to move through this text tonight. And if you'll bear with me for just a moment, I want to begin now in verse 9. I'm talking about the question, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where is he at? Elijah's gone. Elijah's not here anymore. He's departed. He's gone to heaven. So where is his God at? Good news. Good news. He's still right here, and he's still at work. I want to show you three things. First of all, begin now in verse 19 and going down through verse 22. Let me say this, number one. When restoration is needed, God is still here. When restoration is needed, God is still here. So here he is now. He's picked up that mantle. He's hit the waters. They've flown back. He walks across on dry ground. And the first thing that he does in verse number 19 is that he goes to the city of Jericho. And while he's there, he meets some of the men of the city who begin a conversation 
with a man of God. And he finds out from the conversation that the city of Jericho is in a real mess. I'm talking they are in a mess. Now, outwardly, you couldn't tell it. Outwardly, everything looked good. Look at verse number 19. And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of the city is pleasant as my Lord seeth. Now, looking at it from the purely out, outward standpoint, Looking at the city of Jericho, it was a very pleasant place to look at. Everything appeared to be good outwardly on the surface. Jericho was a very beautiful place, but the city of Jericho was actually under a curse. You may remember God cursed the city back in the days of Joshua. When Joshua and the people of Israel came up against the city of Jericho and walked across uh, the Jordan on dry ground and came up against the city of Jericho and marched around those walls and those walls came down, God pronounced a curse upon upon the city of Jericho. In fact, God said the city was to never be built again. Let me read it to you. In Joshua chapter number 6, verse 26, And Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth the city, the city of Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and his youngest son he shall set up the gate. God said the city is to never rise up. It's got a curse upon it. Then we know a little bit later in the Bible, after God had destroyed that city and the walls had fallen down, there's an old boy that rose up and built the city of Jericho again. In fact, we read over in the book of 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 34, in those days did Halal, the son of the Bethlehite, build Jericho. So here's a city that has got a curse upon it. As far as the outward eye could see, everything was fine with the city. But then we read in verse number 19, they had a big problem. And their problem was was that their water supply had been poisoned. There was something wrong with the supply of water in the city of Jericho. The Bible said the water, but the water, the city is pleasant, but the water is not and the ground is barren. You see, as we read further in this text, we come to understand that the waters of the city were bitter and they were noxious. In fact, we're told that the waters, because of the waters, the land, the city was, uh, of the land around the city was barren. Can I stop and say that's a picture of sin? You know, sin always may look good outwardly. There are people sitting in this room tonight, you look good outwardly, everything's going good. But can I tell you, it's not what's on the outside that causes our problems. It's down what's on the inside that that causes our problems tonight. The city of Jericho looked great, but what you couldn't see was the fact that the water was poisoned and the water, uh, the water was toxic, and because of that, there was death and barrenness in the land. Can I stop and say that's the end result of sin? The end result of sin is always barrenness and death. And so they come to the man of God and they say, something's got to be done. You've got to help us, man of God. And the Bible said, if you look down at verse number 20, that he gets some salt the Bible said he asked for a cruise of salt, and they brought it to him. And verse 21, he went forth unto the spring of the water. Can I just say he just didn't stop, start somewhere and throw some salt in the water? No, sir. He went to the point of contention. He went to the place where the water was noxious. He went to the spring, the fountainhead of the waters, and he threw the salt right there. Can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? It's not what's on the outside that makes us displeasing to God. The problem with humanity is what's down on the inside. The reason we act and look the way that we do on the outside is because we're messed up on the inside. But I'm glad I can tell you tonight there's a God in heaven who can start on the inside. He can change the inside. And when the inside gets changed, thank God, it'll spill over to the outside. 
And the Bible said he poured that salt in those waters. And if you'll look there in verse number 21, he cast the salt in there and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day according to the saying of Elijah, which he spake. Here's the problem. I mean, restoration is needed. Healing is needed. Curing is needed. And the Bible said, the man of God steps up and he says, Where's the Lord God of Elijah? But aren't you glad? Elijah made be gone, but God's still here. And he used Elijah, and God healed the, the noxious waters of the city of Jericho. And I just want to say, God did it. The healing was not in the salt. The salt didn't heal the water. The man of God didn't heal the water. But if you look there at verse number 21, the Bible said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. Hey, I'll tell you something, friend. You won't find what you need in this preacher. You won't find what you need in this church. But I'm glad there's a God up in heaven. There's a God up in glory. And he can do for you what needs to be done. I say give him the glory tonight. Amen. God did the work according to verse 21. Now, Elijah's gone. But the God of Elijah was still at work. The great men of God may pass away. The great men of God may depart. They may, they may go. But I just want to tell you, God is still at work among us here today. God can still restore. God can still heal. And God can still answer prayer. And God can still use us. And God can still save our loved ones. And God can still revive our hearts. And God can still do it. You know why? Because God's men made a part. But God is still the same. And by the way, before I move off of this, look at verse 22. What God did lasted forever. Look at verse 22. So the waters were healed unto this day according to the saying of Elijah which he, which, he, uh, which he spake. Can I stop and say this? God didn't have to go back. It didn't wait a few years. The waters get bitter again and they have to go back and pour in some more salt. Buddy, when God did the work, when God healed those waters, they were healed from this day forward. Aren't you glad God don't have to go back and repeat his work over again? How many times have you been saved. Let me tell you, if you got saved by the grace of God, there's only one time you've been saved. You don't have to go back and get saved again, and get saved again, and get saved again. I'm glad that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. This text reminds us that God can still remove the curse of sin and the sting of death. He can still give beauty for ashes. He can still give the oil of gladness for mourning. He can still give the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I'm talking about our God is still alive, and he's still at work. And he can still do the job. When restoration is needed, I don't know what you need tonight, but when restoration is needed, Elijah may be gone, but God, Elijah's God is still here. Amen. Restoration. Now hang on for just a minute. Let's go a step further. Not only when restoration is needed, God is still here, but look at verse 23. Let me stop and say when vindication is needed, God is still here. Now, this bothers me. It bothers me. Because in verse 23, after he left Jericho, he goes to Bethel. Now, Bethel, Beth-el, Bethel. The word Bethel means the house of God. Beth, house, E-L, that suffix E-L, or prefix or suffix, wherever it appears, means God. So he leaves Jericho, a city that is under a curse, and he heads up to Bethel. 
the man of God. Now, oh, you better know. You better know he's going to be received well at Bethel because he's going to the house of God. He is the man of God, right? Amen. Wrong. No, sir, when he gets there, he got, to, he, he got more respect in Jericho, a city that was under a curse, than he did at Bethel at the house of God. You know, many times great deliverance is followed by great disappointment. As old Leonard Ravenhill used to say, when God opens the windows of heaven to bless us, the devil opens the gates of hell to blast us. You would think Elijah, Elijah going up there to Bethel, boy, you think, man, he would, he would get a, a, a hero's welcome. You think they'd roll out the red carpet, have a ticker tape parade, give him a key to the city. I mean, the man of God is here. You would think there would be great reverence and great respect. But no, sir, he didn't get it there. Bethel was a great place in the Bible. It was mentioned back in Abraham's day. It was the place where Abraham knelt when he first met God. Uh, Bethel was a great place in Jacob's life. It was there that he, he knelt and anointed the rock and God changed his life and saved his soul. It had a rich spiritual history. And yet in our text, ladies and gentlemen, by the way, can I stop and say I'm glad I got a Bethel in my life. I'm glad there's a place I can go to where I met God. Have you met the Lord before? I'm not talking, have you joined the church? I'm not asking you if you turned over a new leaf. Do you have a Bethel in your life? Is there a place that you can go to and say, right there, that's the place, right there. That's where I met the Lord. That's where the Lord saved me. That's where the Lord, you may not be able to remember the day nor the time, the date nor the hour, but you ought to be able to remember a place where God met you and you met God and God changed your life. But I'll tell you the sad thing about this Bethel in this text is simply this. This Bethel had corrupted itself. That's exactly right. In fact, a little bit later on in the Bible, Hosea called Bethel Beth-Avon. Now, let me tell you what that means. Bethel means the house of God. The name Beth Haven means this, the place of nothingness. Now, I want you to look this way, and I want you to hear me and hear me well. You know, there are a lot of churches that used to be Bethels that are nothing more today than Beth Havens. There's, there's a lot of churches where people could go and God would meet with them. There's a lot of churches that you used to could go to and meet with God because God was real and God was in that church. But through the process of time, through drifting away and getting cold and welcoming in the world and letting things go, just go by. Hey, I'll tell you, many times Bethels today, I think about many Bethels that I know in my life. I mean, in churches, when I was growing up, they were strong churches and you rode by the, uh, the church on church night and the parking lot was full and the road was full. I'm telling you, it was a place you could go and meet God and hear from God and God could touch you and God could help you. But through the process of time, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that place began to slip and it's no longer a Bethel. It's no longer a place you can go and meet with God. I'll tell you what it is today. It's a Beth Haven. It's a place of nothingness. Oh, they still got the they still got the, uh, uh, the 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 steeple on the roof. They still got the air. They still got the stained glass windows. They still got the choir light. They still give appearance. But, ladies and gentlemen, God checked out long ago, and Bethel has become Beth Haven, a place of nothingness. 
And that's exactly what happened in this text. The Bible said he went there. And the Bible said when he got there, now you would think I said a moment ago he'd get some great respect there. He got more respect in Jericho than he did at Bethel. Isn't that a sight? When the world respects the man of God more, he gets more respect in the, in the world than he does at the house of God. Isn't that a sight? I mean, you would think, man, they would just be hit ooing and aahing over the man of God. I mean, this is, this is Elijah's successor. And yet, when he gets there, look what he finds. Look at verse number 23. went up from thence unto Bethel. He was going by the way. There came forth little children out of the city and mocked him and said unto him, Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. Now, i got to clear up some things. Let me just say this, if you read on down in verse 24, when they started making fun of the man of God, the Word of God tells us in verse number 24 that 42 she-bears, head-bear, head-bear, 42 she-bears come out of the woods and devoured those people that were making fun of the man of God. Now, don't get the idea. Look at verse 23. We read that phrase, little children. You know that phrase, little children, is used throughout the Bible to speak about adults occasionally. I don't want you to understand. I don't want you to get to thinking, boy, God sure is fickle to send those she-bears to devour those little children that know what they were doing. These children were old enough to know what they were doing. In fact, let me tell you something. Watch this. This is going to really help you right here. I'll tell you where I think they heard that at from their mom and daddy. They started hearing that making fun of God's man from mom and daddy. They heard mom and daddy roast the preacher at Sunday at, at lunch. They heard mom and daddy disrespect the man of God. They heard mom and daddy being critical and running down the man of God. Maybe they were just repeating what mom and daddy had been saying. Come on. And the word of God said when that happened, the word of God said in verse 25, four of those she bears came out of the bushes and tear down 40 and two children. I'm sorry, two bears came out and tear down 40 and two children of them. I like what verse 24 says, and Elijah turned back and looked on them. Wait a minute, look here. They were saying it behind his back. Go up, thou bald head. Here goes the man of God. He's going up to Bethel. I mean, the house of God. He's walking up through there and back behind him. They were saying, go up that bald head. Go up there. They were saying it behind his back. They didn't want to say it to his face. Amen. You know, people will say behind your back what they won't say to your face. Or better yet, people will sit behind a computer screen and type on a keyboard what they would never say to your face. And the Word of God said that he turned around and he looked upon them. And then in verse number 24, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And when he did that, it was over. It was good as done. They were dead. Can I just stop and say this before I, I go on to my last point? And believe me, it's going to get better. But, uh, you know, you got to be careful. Some people say from time to time, why don't you stand up and vindicate yourself? I mean, so-and-so saying this, so-and-so saying that. 
uh, so-and-so's spreading this, so-and-so's spreading that. I mean, all of this stuff's going on. Hey, preacher, get in the pulpit and vindicate yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, I serve a God that's big enough to do it, and if he don't do it, why in the world should I want to do it? I'll tell you what, by the help and the grace of God, we just need to try to keep doing right, keep our eyes on Jesus, keep our eyes on the purpose that we're here for. This one's going to talk, that one's going to talk. It ain't my job to get up here and try to vindicate myself or anybody else. Listen, I serve a God's big enough to take care of that, and if God don't see fit to do it, it ain't going to help if I try to stand up here and do it. I can't stop what's being said. I can't stop this lie. I can't track down that one. I can't stop that gossip. I don't want to stop that gossip. I don't even care about that gossip. I don't even care what they're saying. I'm just to the point, ladies and gentlemen, if God don't do it, why should I stand up here and do it? Hey, six of one kind, half a dozen of another, let's go on and serve God anyway. The head men. You know, it ain't going to be long. One of these days, I'm going to have to go and be a member somewhere. I'm going to get sold. I can't do this. I won't have tooth in my head. And I'm going to be sitting in a wheelchair dipping snuff. Not dipping snuff. I'm only kidding about that. But I'm going to be sitting in a wheelchair, and I'm not going to be able to pastor, so I'm going to have to go somewhere and join a church. But don't you look at me. Woe be unto me. Woe be unto me if I give that pastor any trouble if I'm a member of his church. Woe be unto me. I tell you, bless your heart, best thing I can give us advice to do is keep your hands and your mouth off the man of God. He don't deserve the criticism. He don't deserve the praise. Give God the glory. Amen. Let me give you a good verse before I move off of this, and that's this verse right here. Obey them that have the rule over you. And submit yourself, for they watch for your soul. Stop. Somebody said, preacher. That's talking about the government. Obey them that have, obey your president. Are you kidding me? Obey your congressman. Obey, obey your vice president. Not on your life. But it, it clearly says they watch over your souls. President Biden ain't looking after my soul. Can I have an amen? amen. Koala, koala ain't looking after my soul. Nancy Pelosi, does she even have a soul? She ain't looking after my soul. But I tell you who is looking after my soul, that precious man of God that gets up in the pulpit and tries to keep our families together and our kids from messing up and our marriages from ending up in divorce and tries to point us down the right path and keep us out of the world and keep us close to God so we don't make choices and destroy our life. Hey, that man's watching over your soul. Obey him. Submit to him. Why? That they may, uh, that as they that must give an account, that they may do it. How? With joy. Woe be unto me if I cause a man of God heartache. Woe be unto me if I cause the man of God to lay awake at night and worry about things. Woe be unto me if I cause the man of God to cry tears and over, over the criticism that comes from the, uh, the fruit of my lips. Come on! They watch over your souls that they may do it with joy and not with grief. Read it with me. For that is unprofitable for me. If I go to some church somewhere and I start causing that dear man of God problems and I'm criticizing and tearing him down and gossiping about him and running him down to this one and that one, woe be unto me. Hey, hey, bear. Hey, bear. 
You say, preacher, you won't know, sir, not on your life. I don't want no bears. There's a lot of stuff that's going to have to get straight at the judgment seat of Christ. Can I tell you something? When we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, I'm fully persuaded. There's a lot of people I'm going to have to look at and say, look, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I know it's coming. And probably with tears coursing down my cheeks, I'm going to have to go up to them and say, look, I was wrong. I beg your forgiveness. Please forgive me. It's going to get straight. Y'all come here. But at the same judgment seat, there's going to be a lot of people going to have to look at Brother Tim saying, I was dead wrong what I said about you. I was dead wrong for running you down. I didn't even know what was going on. I should have just left it there and kept my mouth shut. And at the judgment seat, they're going to come to me and say, Brother Tim, I'm sorry. And you know what I'm going to say? I don't care. I'll forgive you no way. I said, just until it. Get away. No, I'm not going to say that. Am I right? Come on. Hey, when it comes to vindication, God's still here. I don't have to get up here and try to vindicate myself. I don't have to get up here and try to explain myself. I'm just going to get up here by the help and the grace of God and still say, we are great sinners. He's a great Savior. He gives us a great salvation. Six of one kind, half dozen of another. Let's go and serve God anyway. When it comes to restoration, God's still here. He can still heal. He can still heal them old noxious, poisonous waters. He can still change. When it comes to vindication, God can handle all that. Man, don't worry about it. You take care of your, let's see, you take care of your character. God will take care of your reputation. And number three, and I'm done. But when it comes to navigation, God is still here. Now, join me and we're done. Chapter 3. There's three kings. Jehoram, and I love this. I always had time to preach it. There's Jehoram. He's the son of Ahab. He's the king over the northern kingdom. Some of y'all done checked out on me. But if you did check out on me, you ought to check out on me right now. And just go on and just turn your hearing aid off and play if your telephone, play games, Facebook somebody. But Jehoram's the son of Ahab. He began to reign over Israel. And then Jehoshaphat's the king of Judah. So these kings get together. There's two of them. And later on, the king of Edom joins in. And they're getting ready to go out and fight with the king of Moab. They're going to have a big fight. And so they muster all their armies. Jehoram, the son of Ahab. We already know that's not going to wind up good. Jehoshaphat, he's a good king, but why to God? He's running around with Jehoram. Jehoram, who can figure that one out? And then there's this other king, and they get together, get their armies together, and say, hey, we're going to go over and fight with the king of Moab. They made one fatal mistake, though. They got out there in that desert right before the battle started, and they didn't have any water. Now, i got to tell you something. If an army's going to survive in the desert, it's got to have some water. And they don't have no water. And I want you to look at this. The Bible said down in this text, I'm in chapter 3 now. The king of, uh, let's see, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, look at verse 10. The king of Israel said, Alas, that the Lord had caused these three, called these three kings together to deliver them. So old Jehoram, the son of Ahab, starts blaming God for the situation. Wait a minute. Somebody should have calculated. We're going to need some water when we get in the desert to fight this battle. And he wants to blame. You know, God gets blamed for a lot of stuff God don't do. But I like what Jehoshaphat does down in verse number 11. He said, hey, man, wait a minute, man. Before you go off on a fringe here, 
Is they ain't a, excuse my English, is they ain't a man of God around here somewhere? Is there not a man of God around here that we may inquire of the Lord and just find out? Somebody about that time spoke up and said, hey, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I seen Elijah, the man of God. In fact, remember now, he's the one that poured the waters on the hand of Elijah. Oh, yeah. Boy, we've been hearing some good things about that preacher. And Jehoshaphat said there in verse 12, and Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. Look at me. That's the question. When you go looking for a church, don't look at how clean the nursery is. When you go, by the way, we got a clean nursery, don't we? <laughs> oh, we got a nursery second to nobody's around here. And you wait till that PlayStation gets in here, buddy. I tell you what, Brother Mark's going to start preaching a whole lot more because I'm going over there and play with the kids. That's exactly right. The question is not, man, do they have a nice nursery? The question is not, do they have a youth program second to nobody's? The question is not, man, what do they have to offer the ladies? The question is not, what do they have to offer the men? Hey, let's do this activity. Let's have this activity. Hey, let's do this. What do they plan for this? What do they have for the seniors? The question of all questions about any church, is there a man of God standing behind that pulpit that's got the word of the Lord? Under God, what are we doing? Man, we're trying, to, we're trying to compartmentalize church when the question of all questions is, is there a man of God who's got the word of the Lord with him? That's what matters most. And by the way, look at me. When a church goes looking for a pastor, the question is, not is he a mover and a shaker, not is he a socialite, not is he very intelligent in administration and business affairs. What matters most to a church is, is that man up there, has he got the word of the Lord? Does he know the Bible? Does he preach the book? Is the word of the Lord. That's what matters to a church. It's not, bless God, can he socialize? Can he bring in the big wigs? Who cares? Catch the fish. The money's in the fish's mouth. You're welcome. Let's move on. So he says, okay, and I'm done. He said, all right, man, what's the man of God got to say? And I love this. Look at verse number 14. I mean, Elisha goes off on Jehoram first thing. He said, Jehoram, I just want to tell you, y'all call me up here to find out what God said. But he said in verse 14, were it not for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even look in your direction. You so wicked, you so corrupt, you so ungodly, I don't even want anything to do with you. And if Jehoshaphat wasn't here, I wouldn't even speak to you, low down you. Boy, that's a preacher's got a little gall, ain't it? Boy, we need a preacher that's got some gall about him, don't we? He said, man, I wouldn't even look in your direction. We're not Jehoshaphat sitting here. And now he's all been out of shape because Jehoram, so I'm, and I'm done. So what happened? Look at the part music played. So he says in verse 15, bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Can I say this? Elijah was all bent out of shape because Jehoram was there. His veins was popping out on his neck. That white stuff was running out of his mouth. His eyeballs looked like they was about to bulge out of his head. He was red-faced. I mean, he was mad when he saw Jehoram. He said, I can't even talk right now. Y'all sing a song or two. Boy, music plays an important part in getting the man of God ready for the service. Can I tell you something? We need the right kind of music around here.
I'm tell, I've been to churches before and somebody jump up I, I, and, and sing some old off the wall something I ain't never heard in my life. I tell you, I dread getting up trying to preach behind stuff like that. But you let somebody get up there and they got a good song and the hand of God's on it. I tell you, it ain't long. I'm looking for me a place to unload. Music plays such an important... Let's be sensitive to the kind of music that we have here. Because I'm telling you, music plays an important part in getting the man of God ready to deliver the message. You say, I tell you what, bless your heart, preacher. I like that, I, I like that rock and roll. I like that bebopping and stuff. Can I tell you something? Man, that ain't going to help me preach. Well, it'll make me mad is what it'll do, and I'll get up and just go off on everything. Bring me a minstrel, the part that music played. Watch this, the part the message played. Look at verse 16. He said, Thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of... For thus saith the Lord, you shall not see wind, neither shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water that you may drink, both ye and your cattle and your bee. What in the world? He said, man, God's going to do something. They started playing. Boy, he got in a good mood. He got in a good place. Man, he starts unloading the Word of God. Thank God for preachers who unload the Word of God. And last of all, look at the part the miracle played. The Bible said here in verse number, uh, uh, verse 20, came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered, that behold, there came water by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. If I could just fill in the blanks for the rest of the question. They go out, they dig some ditches. It doesn't rain. The wind don't blow. There's no thunderstorms. But they get up the next morning, and them ditches that they dug is full of water. God did that. Well, they go out there and they start drinking. But remember, they're going down there to fight with the Edomites. And they're standing over there. Is it the Edomites or the Moabites? And they're going out there, some of them termites. And, they, they, and they're standing on the other side of the valley. And they're looking over there at all that water, but it looks bloody to them. And they said, man, I'll tell you what, them three armies got over there. And they got into it together. And look at all that bloodshed over there. So these men take off and start running toward what they think is blood red water because them armies have killed one another. And when they get over there, I mean Jehoshaphat and Jehoram lay something on them and Ajax ain't going to get off of them. And God brought a great miracle. You know why? Because the man of God may be gone. But God is still here. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? He's right here. And I'm done. So maybe the question that we need to be asking is not, where is the Lord God of Elijah? The question we need to ask is, where are the Elijahs of the Lord God? God's still here. Where are the men? And where are the women that are still seeking after God? Where that God can work and use them. I say again, and I'm done. God's men made a part, but God remains the same. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you.